I'm Patrick Bedevi, host of Entertainment, and today I sat down with Anthony Scaramucci, aka the Mooch. This is the communications director to the White House at one point for Donald Trump, and also at the same time he ran a company with ten billion dollars under management. He still does. A pretty well connected guy in New York. The conversation went all over the place, but something tells me you're going to get a complete different angle about himself and Trump by the time you're done listening to this podcast. Thanks got, for being a, a guest good, on Entertainment. You got a good role going on, Patrick. I got a good role going on. You got a good role, yeah. You got a good vibe, you got a good aura, a great suit. I appreciate it. I can say the same thing about you. A lot of stuff going on here. So what's cooking? You got a lot of interesting things about yourself. Your background, you know, you've hung out with some big personalities. Obviously, I know who you are, but when I was going deeper, I said, this guy went to Harvard at the same time Obama went to Harvard, and you guys played basketball together. Yeah. And you went to was there, uh, the Supreme Court. So how was he? How was Lena he? Lena Kagan to? was the dean there. She's now on the Supreme Court. Yeah. You know, look, you got to get born in the United States, and you Providence gives you a good brain if you're a hard worker. I hustled my way into Harvard Law School, so a lot of good things came out of that, right? I got at the Goldman, and then I started my own business, and then I started the process of networking with a lot of people. You know, I mean, I grew up in a blue collar family with. Uh, a tight budget, you know, it was a middle-class family, um, so we didn't really have any connections in any country clubs or alumni networks or boarding schools or things like that, so I mean, we had to make so, it ourselves. So who were you in high school? If you and I are 16, 17 in Guido. high school, who were you? I was a Guido, had, uh, took dance lessons at Dance Finesse. I you took dance lessons? I had every move that Tony Monero did, I knew how to do, going to discos, we called them discos, there weren't even nightclubs back then. I was doing push-ups in the parking lot of these discos, trying to pump wow. my chest up. Uh, from my Camaro. I had extra shirts in the car in case I wasn't having a good time in there, like connecting. I would go back and change my shirt just to change, change up the karma. Come on. I learned how to drive a car when I was 14. Got on my first car accident when I was 15. I was delivering motorcycles up in the Bronx in Harlem at age 17. Change a chain on a motorcycle, place the carburetor. I had that kind of an education. And you have to remember, if you, work, if you grow up in a motorcycle shop where I worked from 13 to 21, mm-hmm. you learn a lot of what goes on in the street. You know, you got Hell's Angels coming in there, you got Malcolm Forbes coming in there, you got Billy Joel coming in there. I mean, it was a very wide, eclectic mix of people. And so I can you know, tell you something I'm very proud of. I always tease my uncle, who's 91 years young, uh, guy's an amazing guy, uh, really the first entrepreneur in my family. I used to tell my uncle that, uh, you know, I'm pr- proudest of being the only person in Ghost Motorcycles employment history to go to the Harvard Law School. Only. Yeah, I am absolutely confident that. You know, <laughs> and like my, my mother thought it was Harvard Law School. They were absolutely. You clueless. went to Tufts University, right? Yeah. So when I called yeah. her, I got into Harvard Law School February 6, 1986, which was Reagan's 75th birthday for those people following trivia at home. I called my mother, uh, landline phone, obviously. I told her, she was, okay, that's great, that's in Hartford? I said, no, Ma, it's in, it's Harvard, it's in Boston. Are you sure that's not in Hartford? It's Hartford Law School, right? She really didn't believe it. I had you. no clue. She had no clue. She didn't even know the difference between Harvard or Hartford or anything. They didn't care. Now, we, there were no books in the house growing up. That's pretty right? amazing for you to go to. Now, you went to, you went to get your JD and be a lawyer, and then you decided to go finance. So how did that transition take place for you to say, I'm going a different direction? I want to totally express to your viewers the level of naivete my lack of global understanding, my lack of awareness. So 
I read an article in the paper of my junior year at Tufts that lawyers at Cravath, Swain & Moore, a law firm that probably would never have hired me, while the starting salaries in 1985 were $65,000 a year. So my pops was probably making less than that. And so I said, okay, this is great. I'm going to go to law school. I'm going to be financially set for life. I'm going to go become a lawyer at a Wall Street law firm. So what did I do? Got into Harvard, went down there and paid the tuition deposit. And I got the phone book of the Harvard recruitment firms. So every law firm in America that was recruiting from Harvard, and I got the alumni directory. And I spent two hours in the admissions area cross-referencing all of the law firms on Wall Street. I didn't realize that Wall Street meant God. like you could have a, a law firm in downtown, uptown, midtown, mm -hmm. Chicago. I thought you had to be on Wall Street. So I looked at all the Wall Street firms. I typed up my resume. I, I dot plotted the alumni from Harvard at those Wall Street firms. And then I went down to Wall Street. I got the number one Wall Street, which was the Irving Trust building. It's now going to be a condo. But on the 28th floor, this law firm called Hughes, Hubbard & Reed existed. I rode up the elevator. There's no security. I get right to the, uh, the woman at the reception area. I'm wearing my polyester suit, my polyester tie, and my polyester shirt. And I say, hi, how are you? I'm here to see Worthington Labscom, the 38th or whatever, right? I don't want to give up the guy's name. He's probably saying, no. So he comes out, he's got the suspenders on and the pipe. I mean, he's right out of central mm. casting from like the paper chase. And he says, uh, we don't have a mean, what are you doing here? I said, well, you know, from the Harvard Law School, I just got in. I'm desperate for a job. Can I come and see you in your office? We talk for about 15 minutes. He says, okay, I'll hire you. I'll give you $8 an hour. I say, hey, can you make it 10? I had no money. He looked at me and says, wow, because you're a little bit of a pushy guy. I said, I $10 am. $10 an hour. Yeah, so I got $10 an hour. Time and a half was 15 I worked the entire summer for him, and I hated every minute of it. And so when I got to Harvard Law School, uh, by the time I matriculated there, I'd already decided I wasn't going to be a lawyer. So I spent three years there what getting did you my like degree. About it? it just wasn't for me. You know, it was too much library time, too much research. Um, it wasn't until you got into your got 30s, 40s, and 50s that you started to become more transactional. And I, I wanted to be the principal. I didn't want to be the person that's assisting the principal. We always got different personalities, and so that was, wasn't for me. I spent three years in law school trying to be not a lawyer. I tell people I learned two things in law school. You want to hear what they are? Mm -hmm. Don't be a lawyer and avoid lawsuits. Those are the two things I learned. But why, though? Why, why don't be a lawyer? You know, it's a grind. What did Shakespeare say? Kill all the lawyers. You know, it's a grind. Being a corporate lawyer, unless you have the right attitude and personality and temperament for it, it's a grind. You don't think you have the right uh, personality and temperament for it? No. So, so more of a deal person, a more transactional, okay. more sales oriented. Interesting. So I, I want to organize a business and run a business. I want to use the force of my personality to meet people, bring them into my fold. So at that time when you were with Barack, how old was he? He was in his early 20s, 19, A couple years older than me. So I'll tell you, the president is probably, I'm, uh, he's probably 58, 59. Mm -hmm. So years. he was older than me. I was, I was two years ahead of him in school. But he's probably three years older than me. So he was class of 91, I was class of 89. So we didn't really know each other. One of my favorite stories is I supported him in 2008, mm -hmm. and I handed him a check, and I said, listen, we didn't really know each other in law school, Senator, but I want to lie to all my friends and say that I knew you. Are you cool with that? He goes, hey, if you double the amount of the check, we can take it back to Hawaii. <laughs> I was like, all right, this guy's got the mojo, right? He had the fix, yeah. you know? So I did. I doubled the amount of the check, and I raised the money, and... Uh, 
I was fairly non-ideological at that point, and I figured how many times in my life am I going to meet and or know somebody that's going to possibly be the President of the United States. It turned out more than one time, but I didn't know that at the time. Yeah, I mean, you, you're, again, the, your resume on who you've been around is pretty interesting and in how it happened. So how did you transition from there into, scribe, you know, you starting your own firm now, you have been around $8 billion so, under management. So I think it's important to tell you that I was at Goldman for seven years. Mm -hmm. I left with a mentor of mine that was a couple of years older than me. And 22 years ago, at the age of 32, I started something called Oscar Capital Management, which was a registered investment advisor. So like yourself and Morgan Stanley Team Winner, I took all those tests. I was managing money. We did it for five years. We sold it to Newberger Berman. They sold to Lehman Brothers. Um, and I left Lehman Brothers before their famous bankruptcy. And I started Skybridge Capital in March of 2005. It's almost 14 years later. And uh, we've got $10 billion under management, 60 people, four offices. And for a very brief shining moment, I was in the comms department as the uh, White House communications director for 11 days for President Trump. But I worked on his campaign for a year and I helped him raise money. So you've been around President Obama, you've been around President uh, Trump. What is the biggest difference you notice personality-wise between the two? I'm gonna tell you the biggest similarity, and they probably don't like each other that much, but they'll be mad at me, both of them, for telling you how similar they are, okay? They're gamers, you know, they want the ball, okay? They want to put the ball in the hoop and they want the ball when the buzzer's about to click, you know? So these guys are gamers, they're not choke artists, okay? Those guys know how to win. The second thing about their personalities, they're very headstrong. Um, they see things a certain way and they're gonna drive the agenda. There's two different types of leadership, right? You know, we've got a thermostat in this room. Um, there's a certain type of leadership that says, okay, what's the temperature? And they guide themselves towards the temperature. Mm -hmm. And then there's another type of leadership that's a thermostat. I'm going to dial the temperature and the world's coming my way. I'm going to lower the temperature to 72 and the whole world's coming with me or I'm raising it to 78 and the whole world's coming with me. Both of those guys are thermostats. They're not thermometers where they're gauging the temperature. You know, like Secretary Clinton, mm -hmm. all due respect to her, is a very gifted person, but she's more of a thermometer. You know, she's putting the finger out there. She's trying to act like who she thinks people want her to act like so she can become president. That's not these two. These two are like, take it or leave it. This is me. I'm going to grind you through the wall. And if you like me, I'm going to be president. And if you don't like me, I got other things to do. So let me ask you, what's How the are they different? Yeah. They're different in the sense that they see the world ideologically differently. And the president, Obama, he probably sees the world through a peace and social justice model from classes that he took in the mid to late 80s about peace and social justice. And so this is more of like the Noam Chomsky and the mm -hmm. Sal Alinsky sort of model that there's an unfairness and an unjustness in the society and people of color uh, have been treated unfairly and we have to push their agenda to redistribute and make the society more balanced. Some of that's true. So Some it's of it's philosophically, not. it's just purely you think philosophically. Trump is more. Uh, Trump is a guy that's never been discriminated against. So therefore, he's not racist, but he doesn't have any empathy for people that have been discriminated against because it's never happened to him. Got it. Obama would stand at Harvard Law School and try to hail a cab because he was black. He couldn't get one. Try to hail a cab, but Columbia is raising his hand. He can't, he's not going to get the cab. So that stays you know, with my. Them. Of course, my yeah. grandmother. She was walking around here. 70, 80, 100 years ago, said, Nina, no Italians need to apply. So Trump's never had any blatant discrimination that's manifested against him. So it doesn't make him racist. It just makes him not totally aware 
of that dilemma of people that have felt that discrimination in their lives. That makes them very different. That makes them think very differently about policy. What is it to work with these guys? Because I know you've, you said something one time. You said uh, Nixon once said people are willing to vote for somebody they dislike, but they're not willing to vote for somebody that dislikes them. I think you quoted yeah, that one time. That was Richard Nixon. Richard, well, they were asking Nixon. He said, hey, they probably didn't like me, but they gave me a landslide. That was in the 1972 landslide. His point was that the American people um, are results in their orientation, but that presidency is a popularity contest, and it's a reverse of what you think. It's not that they have to like the guy, but they have to think you like them. Um, because remember, you're getting invited into their living room every single night. You're becoming an additional family member. They're going to know your voice as well as they know their children's voices and their parents' voices. And so there's a couple of things that have to happen. You have to be in the game with them and someone that they think is championing them, or at least a large part of them. Going back to the personality, if I'm working with President Obama or President uh, uh, Trump, mm -hmm. you know, you get Trump that he gets the criticism saying, you know, the first two years, senior executives on his team, 62% have been fired in the first mm -hmm. two years, versus Obama, I think, is 24% is when you look at these polls. Mm -hmm. How different is it working with a Barack Obama than it is working with a President Trump? Well, I mean, in fairness, I didn't really work super closely with Barack Obama. I bundled for him, met him a few times during that process. You fundraised for him as well, I think. That's what I mean, yeah. I bundled, yeah. I went out and got money and bundled it together and handed it to his campaign, but I didn't really work with him day to day. I did work with the President, President Trump day to day. And so I can tell you about his personality, um, very likable, gregarious, uh, guy's guy when you're with him. Uh, but he is somebody that's very demanding. He does have a nature to his personality where if you're in syncopation with him, like Mike Pompeo is, then that's great. There's no daylight. They can telepathically finish each other's sentences. They're going to go along great. But if you're somebody like Rex Tillerson, that you're oil and water, and you don't see the world similarly, or you're butting heads, or you're at intellectual odds, uh, that's not going to work out. And if you're John Kelly, where you think your reputation is better than the president's, and so you think you're holier than thou, uh, that's not going to work with somebody like the president. You know, for me, I got in there and I got in there at the wrong time. I got a good relationship with the president. Got in there at the wrong time. I made a gaffe. I made a mistake. I trusted somebody I shouldn't have. And you know, Kelly used that vulnerability to wipe me out. And at that time, there was so much turmoil and uncertainty in the White House, I couldn't really get the support I needed from the president or from his family members to keep me. Uh, but the flip side is those people gave me the opportunity. I blew it with my mistake. I'm accountable as a human being and I accept my firing. And, I mean, I think one of the things that I'm proud of is I never broke ranks with the president. I mean, I got blown up, uh, humiliated in the media. Uh, excoriated, but you never see me break ranks. Yeah, I'm, no, I'm if, not that kind of person. If this was, if this was a, a, you know, you've probably seen Godfather many times. You know, if if this was a mafia mob family, you mm -hmm. you didn't go out there snitching or throwing them under the bus. No, Matter of fact, you came that. out and said, "I apologize. I did say this in the past before when I was betting on other people to win, and I was betting on Romney or Clinton in the past oh, or whatever oh, it was." But I write, it. I write in my book, the yeah. president started it. Yeah. So when the president, when I was attacking the president when he was at a candidate. Mm -hmm. And they show, and I only did it one time. It was for three and a half minutes, and they showed that in perpetuity until I got myself fired. But mm -hmm. what was happening was he was attacking the hedge fund industry. He started that fight. So how he likes to say he's a counterpuncher. Mm -hmm. I'm a counterpuncher. I'm a New Yorker. Sure. He started that fight. So one of the best tweets and my favorite tweet is when he referenced me in the tweet on Saturday after I got my job. 
He said, in all due respect to Anthony Scaramucci, I started that fight with him. You know what I mean? And so that diffused it right mm -hmm. away. I said, look, I'm sorry I did that. I'm glad to be on the president's team. We were fighting with each other. But that's New York. You know, if you and I knew each other, we we're from New York, we could get into a spat. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately with him, because he's Donald Trump, everything ends up on a camera or underneath these lights. So it's recorded forever. It's like a tattoo. But I remember 10 years ago, they used to say somebody, a politician from New York cannot be the president. This was mm -hmm. like eight years ago when Chris Christie was, hey, what if he comes mm -hmm. out? Giuliani. And yeah, Giuliani was, I don't think anybody from New York and then Trump comes out and becomes who he becomes. You know, his style of leadership, the one thing I wonder, you've said uh, he likes it when you are comfortable being yourself around him where you don't change yourself to be around him. But is that really the case? Like I see, is, is it working with uh, President Trump, like you come into the room, you do as I say, and you're going to be okay? Or... If I push too much and I'm too ambitious, maybe like a Kelly, I'm going to be ousted. How does that work out? Because it seems like there's not really one well, way to work here, with them. Here's the thing I would say. I mean, this is what I found. Again, everyone has a different sure. impression. Here's what I found. Let's say you're the president. If you got the aura from me that I liked you okay. and I totally trusted you and you were my guy, uh, then he gave you a wide berth of latitude to talk to him in a very honest and constructive way. You see that? And so so he doesn't like sycophants. I mean, the, the point I was trying to make when I made that statement right. is when you're sycophantic to somebody like President Trump, he gets bored. He doesn't want that. Mm. You know. And so what I also say about the word sycophancy, and this is for your entrepreneurial viewers, if someone's kissing your you-know-what, be careful. That is a sign of selfishness, and it's a sign of self-preservation. It's not a sign of loyalty for me to tell you how great-looking you are every day. I tell my staff, you tell me I'm tall, and you tell me I'm right, we've got a problem. You tell me I'm short and I'm wrong, now I know I've got a relationship with you. And so, so what I found with the president is you could be honest with him, you could be direct with him, provided that you were respectful, you respected his age difference between you and him, you respected his authority, you knew he was the boss and you were not, uh, but you could be honest with him as long as he felt from you, the aura was, hey, sir, I'm being honest with you because mm -hmm. I want to see you soar. I want your poll number to go from 42 to 52. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, so, so he needs people. He doesn't have that many, but he needs people that will not alter their personalities when he walks in the room. And that's very hard because he's the president of the United States. You ever been in the Oval Office? Never have. It's, an, it's, a, it's a personality altering office. I've heard I don't that. know too many people that walk into the Oval Office and they're not awestruck or they're not awestruck by the magnitude of the presidency mm -hmm. or they don't start thinking about the person that's behind that desk differently than they did before he got behind the desk. You know, there's a, there's a flip in your brain. You know, when you were a kid in the third or fourth grade, well, you were in Iran, but I was here in the United States. You're a kid in the third or fourth grade. They're talking about the president. You think the person's like Batman. You know, you think he's like a superhuman yeah. person. And by the way, even though these people aren't and they put their pants on the same way you and I do, there's lingering Batman in your brain from the third grade. You got that? There's a lingering specialness to the position and the person that's sitting in the seat gets endowed with that. So you got to be super, super careful. Um, you got to be respectful and you got to be looking at it with the right attitude. But you got to tell the truth. When I hope to help the guy, you guys. That's an art, being able to learn how to do that. Yeah. Because, you know, when I when I look at him as an entrepreneur myself, you're an entrepreneur yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, you're told there's philosophies on how you hire. You hire slow, fire fast. 
Mm-hmm. I don't know if he's hiring slow. I don't know if he's fire, hiring fast, hire, firing fast. It almost seems like it's, all right, on the team, I don't know if you're going to fit. You know, you come in, and so that goes against doing a little bit more due diligence. But it's different from being an entrepreneur, though, right? So the problem for him, he's got a fuse. Match gets struck on January 20th, you've got four years. So you've got about 1,200, 1,300 days. That's it. So now the match is struck and there's a fuse going. It's not like you running your business or I'm running my business. I get a 30-year run. If I run the business properly, I can think about it over a time continuum of 30 years. He's got a four-year run, so he's probably cycling through people very quickly. Yeah, I'm quoting um, that because you said he runs it like an entrepreneur and he fires fast. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you yeah. talked about I mean, the fact that, that he's, that he should, he's a, he runs it like a startup. You're, I think. you're saying, you know, in the adage is hire slow, fire fast, yeah. and I like that adage. I'll probably start using it, but he doesn't have that luxury. He's hiring and firing fast. Do you think it's because he doesn't have a lot of allies? Do you think that's yeah. what it is? Well, it's that, and he, he had two disastrous picks as chief of staff. He made the classic mistake that uh, somebody would make, and I probably would make the same mistake. He's a non-politician. Let's say that uh, he wants to build a golf course. He's probably going to hire golf course people. Mm-hmm. Let's say that he wants to build a building or a condo. He's probably going to hire condo people. Okay, well, in this case, he was hiring people that are governmental people to help him build a government. And so, you're, you know, he, he put the creature of the Black Lagoon, okay, in charge of the swamp as the White House chief of staff. I mean, this guy, Ryan's previous, is like a walking disaster, okay? He is the elemental avatar of everything that America dislikes about Washington. And so he makes him the chief of staff. I never understood that. I, th- Why do you make first, him the chief of staff? Yeah, I don't understand. He made him the chief of staff. You know how much they would go back and forth. And he says, I got a call from Trump. I said, he's not going to be the candidate. We're going a different direction. I'm talking 15, 16, like early yeah, well, stages of it. Yeah, well, he told him to drop so. out on October. After the Access Hollywood tape, he told him to drop out. He hated the president. So why would he hire him, though? Uh, well, I think what ended up happening was the president made correctly an assessment that there was a positive attribution to the Republican Party ground game that helped him attain the presidency. Got it. And he was trying to reward Priebus, and he thought he was a good administrator. Um, but you can't hire the creature of the Black Lagoon to drain the swamp when every impulse, every grain of DNA in the person's body is to add more water, add more swamp water to the swamp. And you think of what Priebus did. Priebus basically blocked every single person from New York that was on the president's team. And he couldn't block Jared or Ivanka, but every other person got blocked. You mean shield? He he shielded them from? He prevented every person from getting jobs in the administration. Oh, I see what you're saying. I was supposed to be the OPL director. He blocked me, told stories about me, told lies about me. Uh, He ran opposition research about me. He told John Katsimatidis, a uh, a well-known entrepreneur here, that really bad, nefarious stuff is going to come out on Anthony. So he figured I was Italian and I worked on Wall Street for 30 years, so I must have done something wrong. And so he had opposition research people Mm. digging into my past. He couldn't find anything. Okay, so he was a very, very dishonest, very He's one of the worst people that I've met in my life so far, actually. One of the worst people. Ruthless, dishonest, without conscience and unbelievably diabolical. And he wasn't really that smart. Interesting. So what what really not that smart people do, Patrick, is they make up for it with their ruthlessness and their guile. They'll do things that you and I would never do. You're an entrepreneur, so definitionally, and if your business is successful, you have to run it off of a platform of ethics. You can't really run it as an unethical enterprise. It'll eventually get caught. It'll eventually get caught. And so it catches up with you. So you have to run it off a platform of ethics and honor, which is what I do at Skybridge. So I didn't anticipate the nonsense that Washington would do. 
to each other. So I, I, not in my DNA. I don't think you would say that about John Kelly as a human being. You just disagree with his decisions he made, right? You wouldn't put him at the no, same. No, I would say something differently with John right. Kelly. No, he, he was a more honorable guy. He served the country. John Kelly is a gold star family member. He lost his son in the war. Mm -hmm. He's a decorated four-star general of the United States Marine Corps. So there was an honor to that. But I would say that John Kelly was a round peg in a square hole. Got it. You know, he had the wrong personality for the president. He had the wrong temperament. Uh, you can't think of yourself as being better or having a better reputation than the person you're working for. That's never going to work. The other thing John Kelly did, which I totally disagree with, he was too militant in the job. See, his firing of me, not to make this about me, but I'm just giving you a case study example in management. Mm -hmm. The way he fired me and the abrupt way that he fired me actually was the match that he struck for his own demise because he set the culture up in a way that was militant and intimidating and it caused people to create more insecurity and more backbiting and more paranoia. He could have said to me, hey, Aunt, you did a disastrous thing on the phone uh, and that's an absolutely fireable offense. I don't want you working here in the White House. But you served the president and you've been part of his media advocacy, you worked on his transition team, and you seem like a good enough guy, why don't you take two weeks off, okay? And uh, when you return on Labor Day, we'll come up with a story that you're leaving, and so this way you don't explode out of here. Okay, that's what we would have done on Wall Street, right? But he wanted to hit me as hard as he could hit me, okay? And as I tried to point out to him, you don't fire a guy like me like that, because when you fire a guy like me like that, you're sending an earthquake and a shock wave into the system. You're like, oh my God, if they could fire a guy like him like that, what are they gonna do to me? Right. And what I told the president is what John did to you was unfortunate because he did something to you that made you look very bad and it made him look very good. And his job is to make you look good. He's your chief of staff. But it made him look good, like he's John Tough Guy in the John Wayne movie as a US Marine, and you allowed him to do it to one of your buddies that helped you get elected. Okay, so it made you look bad and it made him look good and it caused the match to get struck to lead to his demise. So, do so my issue with Kelly is more of a managerial issue and the way he interacted with people, but no, he's not a nefarious, cretin, you know, you've always, you've always said good things not, about him as a, an individual. He's not a yeah. member of the Leviathan like Rancid Penis or this guy Adolf Bannon. I mean, these guys are like cocks. Adolf this Bannon. One. Yeah. yeah, I mean, this guy's a horrific guy. So, it, it, you know why I believe in God? Tell me. Because, well, you know, if you ever have, well, I believe in God because I got raised by my parents to believe in God, but like when you have doubts in your faith, mm -hmm. you know what I can think of, I can reflect upon? Mm -hmm. uh, Steve Bannon is a very smart, very articulate guy, very well-read guy, very seductive guy. But God made him so ugly, Patrick. He is so ugly that he saved the civilization from Steve Bannon. You know, with that nose and that face, and he dresses a contemporary hobo. Nobody's gonna take him seriously. Thank God. Okay, so so this guy's a human disaster. Okay, I would debate this guy anywhere on the civilization. I'd debate him on a live stage, on a YouTube channel. I would debate him in a public square um, because he's got a lot of facts, but a lot of those facts are twisted in his brain, and he has a very evil, uh, egocentric, nefarious agenda. And he could put a real hurt on the civilization if he was in power, a guy like him. So thank God he looks like that. Who, who does President Trump trust today? Who does he trust today? 
He's obviously trusts Mnuchin, Stephen Mnuchin, Mike Pompeo. I think he's got a very good relationship with Jared, obviously. He trusts his daughter, Ivanka. There's other people in the administration, Bill Shine. Remember, I was recruiting Bill Shine, right? Mm -hmm. Because, you know, entrepreneurs, I, I don't want to be the smartest guy in the room. I want to hire 10 guys that are 10 times smarter than me. Okay, so when he gave me the comms job, I'm like, I'm not the best guy for that. Let me go hire the best guys. I'm going to go hire Bill Shine. He's president of Fox News. He would be able to figure out how to do this way better than me. So I'm very happy that Bill's there. You know, A people hire A plus people. And by the way, if you're listening to this and you're not an A person, put some delusion in your life. Start thinking of yourself like an A person. Because if you think of yourself like an A person, you will become an A person. And A persons hire A plus people. D people hire F people. C people hire D and F people. B people hire C, D, and F people. Right? You know, a previous is like a C plus person. You know, he was maniacally insecure, uh, maniacally paranoid. And so you can take this equation that I have in my brain. It's a quadratic equation on human emotion. Insecurity, underconfidence, always equals paranoia and backstabbing. You got 8,900 people working for you. The ones that are complaining, the ones that are backstabbing the other people, they're insecure, they're underconfident. I don't have to say anything bad about anybody. I'm, I can stand on my own two feet, it's no problem. You're gonna hit me, you're gonna try to take me down, then I gotta go after you. No problem, because it's not for vengeance, for deterrence. You see, I, I told previous, why don't you knock it off or you're gonna create a mortal enemy in me? Why do you want that? Well, you want to knock it off, and so now we're squared. When's the last time you and him spoke? I, I will never speak to the guy. I spoke to him on the 28th of July, uh, that Friday when he got fired. We flew together on Air Force One to Long Island. The president was making an MS-13 speech, and we had this like cold, dead stare towards each other and grimacing hellos to each other. Were you speaking at all? Was there any yeah, kind of right dialogue? Or? Hey, how you doing? Fine. I'm, not, I'm fine. Got it. Got these it. are bad people, dude. Yeah. Okay, you know so why the American people hate these people? Because American people are right. They can smell that these people are bad people. But let me ask you this. You know the whole saying about... It just happened to be way worse than, uh, than they thought. So, you know how he, you hear about the dirty part of politics? Mm -hmm. If it's that dirty, why are people getting into politics? Why, why you know... Well, I mean, I did it for s stupidity reasons. You remember the story I told you earlier in this interview that I... Read that they were paying people sixty-five thousand dollars a year. Yes, so I naively and you went ten bucks, fifty. You know, so I'm stupid. You know, the Playboy guy. He's interviewing me after I got blown out of the White House, and uh, of course, I only read Playboy for the articles. I just want to make sure everybody's clear on sure. that for the purposes of this YouTube channel. But you know, the guy's interviewing me. He says, "Hey, people say you're smart, but you're very politically naive." I looked at the guy and said, "I totally disagree with you. I'm not politically naive. I'm politically naive to the ninth power." Okay. I went down there as I thought I was going to help out. I didn't realize that it was a zero-sum game and they were going to kill each other. And then there's a lot of people that snicker at me and say, well, you're an idiot. You're totally naive. Well, you know what? When you're an entrepreneur, you're trying to create a win-win environment. You're trying to add value to people's lives and to your employees. When you're an animal that lives in the swamp known as Washington, you're in a zero-sum game environment. Mm. I'm just not built for that. I'm not made for that. As dirty as you thought it was, is it how much more dirtier is it? Terrible. Terrific. So one of the best things about Trump, Trump has turned the lights on and the cockroaches are running everywhere. And you're like, oh my God, these cockroaches are way bigger, way nastier, and way longer in their longevity to survive than we originally thought. Interesting. And they don't care about the American people. Do not care about the American people. They're very focused on 
the preservation of their own power, their egos, their vanity, and how much money they can make while they're in the game. Let, they let, do let, not care about the American people. I mean, you, you know, less you, than five percent of them. You see that. One of the things uh, I say is entrepreneurs. Uh, those who are driven, driven by freedom, they go become entrepreneurs. They just kind of want to go out there and leave me alone, let me do my thing, let me build my business. And right. if I fail, great. If I don't, I, you know, I'll be That out. was a big weakness for me in the White House. Can I tell you why? Tell me. So if I had, you know, I, I was at Goldman for seven years. Well, let's say I did 35 years at Goldman. Goldman is a great organization and it's uh, entrepreneurial, but it's a political organization. By the nature of its size, there has to be some levels of politics mm-hmm. in it, right? But if you're running Skybridge Capital and you're the managing partner you know, there's politics inside of Skybridge. I've tried to of cut course. it. Of course. But we both know that there are. Sure. But I'm at the tippy top of the food chain. Sure. So it's my treehouse. Sure. You see, so I'm treated differently in my own treehouse. So and you I'm, prefer that. I do. You when chose I moved, that. Yeah, yeah, when I moved into the comms job, I I was handling that job the way a entrepreneur would handle it, not the way a political operative would handle it. That's my fault. I have to own that, too. That was a classic right. mistake born from stupidity in an experience. I should have taken the job and said, okay, I'm now a Washington political operative. Let me slow myself down. Mm-hmm. Let me watch how these animals work with each other. And then let me pounce when I think it's appropriate. That's not what I did. I went into the White House with a chainsaw and a hockey mask. You probably shouldn't have started my first day with a chainsaw and a hockey mask. And so one of the other fatal flaws for me in the White House was I put my pride and I put my ego into that decision-making. You see, so Priebus and Bannon were blocking me from the original job. I was going to be the president's networking officer. They blocked me from that job. So I spent six months figuring out how I was going to get in there. Got myself in there, and then I turned the chainsaw on and went after them. That's pride and ego. And so what I would tell your listeners... From your end or from... My end. From your yeah, end. Those are... That was... Anytime I... Thank you for saying that because a lot of times well, we have a hard time sharing that. Isn't this an educational it moment is, for absolutely. people? It is. And it's a teachable moment sure. for entrepreneurs. I'm yeah. trying to let them know these are mistakes that I made in my life and in my career that were very costly. Don't make that same mistake. Learn from my experience. So I put my pride and my ego into the decision making and I hurt myself. Do you, do you think a part and of it was... anytime I put my pride and my ego into my decision-making, yes. frankly, I have hurt myself. Hmm. Yeah, because when I saw you on TV, you'd get up and you'd address the questions, poised, calm, like no one could get upset at you. You were just very... And that, that period, it lasted. It was like, oh, this guy's going to be around for a while. You know, he's handling it so well. You know, it was almost like you couldn't... Remember when Kelly and Conway would be on TV and everybody would be furious because they couldn't argue. It was like, what do you say to her? She was holding herself very well. Similar thing with you, and then I yeah, obviously I you read about what you. was said and all that stuff, you know, on the call. Oh, I remember some though. I said that stuff. You should go listen to the recording. I said that stuff to somebody I thought it was a friend. It was an Italian kid from the neighborhood next door to me. His father knew my dad for fifty years, and so I actually picked up the phone and called him. I was, I was teasing him about the information, and then I was asking him, and then he bagged me. That's tough, okay, because so, the part, so how do you way, trust in that okay, world you're in? Okay, by the way, that's why I said I was naive to the yeah. 20th power. I thought he was a friend. He was not a friend. He ran out, and he did something to me that hurt me. It created a level of vulnerability in me, mm. and it caused Kelly to eliminate me from my job, and it caused Trump to allow Kelly to eliminate me from my job. They said, okay, this guy's inexperienced. He made a rookie mistake. He, we can't have him make a bigger, right. more disastrous mistake than that. Right. You're fired. So they knocked me out of the job. Okay, And so I own that. And so that's another cautionary tale. If you're in Washington and you want a friend, do what Harry Truman said, buy a dog. 
Nobody is your friend. <laughs> Nobody yeah. is your friend, okay? So that was another mistake I made. So pride and ego and trusting somebody that I shouldn't have trusted, those were two big fatal mistakes. But you know, there's beauty to those mistakes because I have owned them. Here's another big lesson, accountability. Here's another big lesson, don't be too proud. Okay, open yourself up and put it out on the field for people because America likes comeback stories. Of course America likes yes. the idea that, hey, this person's expressing his flaws. He who has not sinned or he who doesn't have a flaw, throw the first rock. Okay, I've yet to meet a person that's flawless. And so those are many. I mean, I have a whole phone book of flaws, but those are ones that took place inside the White House. Yeah, I'm, I thought for sure you were going to be around for a while. Temperament, comment. I thought mm-hmm. this guy's going to be around well, for a I long mean, if time. You've seen me Likeability, on, if you've charming. Seen me on, You've seen me on TV. I have a good temperament. I I don't lose my cool. Listen to the recording. When you sit with Republicans and liberals the way you do it, they like you. People who disagree with you, they like you. Well, because I have the right temperament for that stuff. If they said, listen to the recording. He wrote the story like I was unhinged and some kind of a maniac. Just go listen to this. The recording, it's me talking to him the way I'm talking Mm. to you. He says to me, well, we want to do a profile on you in the New Yorker, and I'm laughing. I'm not going to. I'm going to want a profile done on me in the New Yorker. Mm-hmm. I'm here to serve the president. Mm. What do you think? I'm self-promotional, like Steve Bannon. I'm not Steve Bannon. Blankety blank blank. That's what I said. The same way I'm talking to you. Right. Okay. Oh. Except cameras are off. Yep. And, and he took the thing and he ran. To, and right. I've never cursed on a live television show. I've never cursed on a uh, interview. It's not my personality. But I'm a neighborhood kid. I grew up in a neighborhood. I was driving a car at 14. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm working with Hell's Angels at 14. You don't think I've said a few curse words? Right. By the way, you think I'm the only person in the West Wing of the White House in the history of the White House that's cursed? I think, think everyone I'm the only knows person? that. Come Come on, I mean, I think ridiculous. everybody knows it was, that. It was used as a foil. The establishment wanted me out of there. You know, the press conference that you're referencing. Uh-huh. So I give that press conference, 40, 50 million people see it. It lasts for 35 minutes. I come off the podium. The president liked it. I get a call from a Republican, 30 years in opposition research. The guy says to me, you're dead. I said, I'm dead? What do you mean? You can't talk like that from the White House. You can't tell the truth like that from the White House. You're scaring the lights out of all of these politicians. You want the truth? Here's the truth. We are out of whack with our deficit. Absolutely crazy that we're spending this amount of money relative to the amount of money we're taking in. You want the truth? Okay, we have to cut back on the entitlements and right-size the entitlements. We've over-promised a whole generation of people. How did President Trump feel about the way he handled it? He was fine with it. No, he was fine with it. But the other guy's saying you're... No, 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 these elected leaders were calling this opposition research guy saying, hey man, what do you got on this guy? We gotta get rid of this guy. You can't have this guy telling the truth. Got it. It's yeah. like a few good men. They can't handle the truth. Well, I kind of, I kind of liked your approach. Though. Okay. I kind of like that. That them made me because you there got Sean Spicer. You got Sean Spicer's a joke. I mean, he's like liar Spice. I don't know how he got hired. Every I have no idea how he got. Every the job. Spice Girl has a nickname. His is Liar Spice. Okay, he's Liar Spice from the Spice Girls. I mean, come on, this guy's a joke. Okay, and also, you think that you can talk with that level of disingenuousness and get any credibility whatsoever? It's a joke. I never understood okay. him, him, him yeah, getting so, that job. So look, I mean, but here, let me ask you this question. Let, let me ask you this question. Yeah. Here's a question yeah, for you. Ahead. So Michael Cohen. Obviously, mm-hmm. you saw what happened with Michael Cohen. You saw his sit down with, I think it was, uh, who was he with? George? George Stephanopoulos. Yes. And yeah. you see him and he's going back and forth and he's saying, mm-hmm. what matters to me is my, my family and, I had to, and I'm not going to let him taint my legacy, et cetera, et cetera. 
You know, Anthony, what is the difference between a snitch and a whistleblower today? I'm not a big fan of the whole thing, to be honest. Right? So I think that the whole whistleblowing thing, for me, I'm not a big fan, fan of that either. You know, I'm not one of these self-righteous moralists, okay? If there's something wrong in the system, let's say you're running the system, I'd rather go to you and say, hey, man, Patrick, the system screwed up. you got to cut this out, okay, and, you know, and, and start a reform movement inside the system then run out to a television camera and, and quote-unquote, snitch or whistleblow mm -hmm. on you, okay? As it relates to Michael, there's a very complicated situation there, you see, because there was sort of a toxicity, ultimately, between their friendship and their relationship, okay? Because uh, Michael, and I've said this to Michael, and I'm friends with Michael, you know, he, Michael became almost like a groupie to the president. He admits it. He felt like he was indoctrinated into a cult. So now he's a groupie for the lead singer in a rock and roll band, and he's enamored by the crowds, and he's enamored by all the things that are going on with the rock and mm -hmm. roller. And then the rock and roller's boozing and doing drugs or, or sleeping with different people. You know, Trump's not boozing or doing drugs. I'm just giving you the metaphor of a rock sure. and roll singer. Yes. And so now the groupie is overly loyal to the rock and roll singer, and he starts making misjudgments. He starts making decisions that are regrettable. There's a uh, symmetry. You know, I don't like a snitch and I don't like a quote unquote whistleblower, but I also dislike people who cut other people loose. Okay, so if the president's guilty of anything here, it's asymmetrical loyalty. Okay, that's an accusation that's been made toward the president and the president should really step back and think about that, okay, because loyalty is symmetrical. Loyalty should go both ways. So you can't expect somebody like Michael Cohen to be loyal to you if you're cutting him loose and blasting him on Twitter. That's not going to work. You know, start blasting me on Twitter, we're going to war. You understand what I'm saying? You mm -hmm. know, that's not, you know, I'm going to be very loyal to you because I like you as a guy. I may not like every aspect of you. I may not like the child separation policy. I don't like the disavowal of the intelligence agencies. I can select things. I mean, I like the broad strokes of your agenda, and I like you as a person. You know, Mayor Koch had a great line, we're in the great city of New York. What did he say? He said, if you agree with nine out of the 12 things that I stand for, you should vote for me. But if you agree with 12 out of the 12 things I stand for, you need a psychiatrist, okay? So you're never going to find a politician where your fingerprint and their fingerprint That's are so powerful. Imagine. Think about it. That's so powerful. So I'm not going to sit here yeah. and say that I like everything about the president and every slice of the thing. I don't like the, everything about just about anybody. And a lot of people don't like things about me. Sure. I'm cool with that. Right. But what happened there was there should have been symmetry to the loyalty circuit between the two of them, and there wasn't. So that kind of backfired. Backfired. So, so it's, a, it's another lesson. Number one, if you're a young kid watching this popular podcast, don't be anybody's groupie. I don't care how talented they are. I don't care how charismatic they are. I don't care how many fans they're attracting and you want to be part of that allure. Don't be anybody's groupie. Okay, that's number one. Number two, loyalty is symmetrical has to go back and forth between two people. If you're being overly loyal to somebody, stop it. You don't owe that to anybody. Those are lessons. Interesting. It's been a great Media. life experience for me, by the way. As miserable and as humiliating as it was at times, you know, the way they tumbled me right. and then they grinded me up and the mm -hmm. way they tabloided me, it's been a great life experience. I'm You've not, been handling it well, though. I'm not meeting you without the life experience. I'm not hanging thing, out though. on Saturday Night Live's 
uh, stage last Saturday without the life experience. I mean, you, so it's fine. You, you know, know how it take is. The good and the bad. You know how it is being in business is you get you have to read people as well, and you you, you got intuition. You got to read people. You do it all the time from the moment you came mm -hmm. here. You walk the whole thing. You're asking questions. What's that book about? You're from Iran. Were well, you Christian? Are you Muslim? Why are you named Patrick? What's your real name? You're studying. So mm -hmm. you have to always study. You're, you're on all the time. Uh, my study on you is I don't think you're done with uh, being in the Oval Office. I don't think you're done doing stuff with politics. How I think. I, I mean, I, I, no, nobody I, is going to invite me back to the Oval Office. I think. I don't think so. Who's going to invite me back to the Oval Office? I think there's some. First of all, somebody's going to invite me back to the Oval Office. They're not going to run the risk. Yeah. I'm going to say something that I believe. First of all, it starts with aspirations. I think if you feel you can bring value, then that's the part. Like for me, if I know for a fact I can't bring value in a place, I'm not even, listen. Patrick, you, here's what I'm going to do. I want yeah. to double the size of my business, okay? And so I'm a young guy. I'm going to double the size of my business. Uh, 20 billion? 20 billion yeah, uh, under that. management? I got 10 yeah. billion under management. I go to 20 billion under right. management. I think I can get that done in five years. You invite me back on your podcast, and then we'll talk about other aspects. Let's talk about that. So market-wise you know, today. For me, what I don't like about what's going on is that we're going to run the country down the drain. Because we got a bunch of leaders that actually don't care about the country. Okay, so we're going to let the country that you love, that your family dreamt about, where you showed up in LA and you built this great business in Dallas, and anything is possible in this country. Okay, uh, we're going to let the country go down the drain. I'm not going to let that happen. You're going to let that happen? I'm not letting that happen. Absolutely not. But the flip side yeah. is they did a good job of crushing me. And they hurt my business. And they told so many lies. It was just ridiculous. Okay, Then they blocked me in the whole CFIUS process with yeah. the Chinese investor. The $10 billion, my, But they apologized. They came back and they apologized. You're talking about the $10 billion. No, but is, my, is my country a national, is my company a national security risk to the country? It's a fund of funds. It's like a joke. Right. Okay. So that's how Washington operates, right? So no whining. Here's more lessons for your listeners. No whining in sports and politics. I got my effing ass kicked. But I'm like mayhem in the Allstate commercial, dust myself off, and move on. There is no whining in sports or politics, okay? Just the way it works. Okay, so now I got my business back. I got my family back. We didn't even talk about my almost divorce, which was another disaster. So I got my business back. I got my family back. I'm going to double the size of my business, and then let's see what happens after that. Yeah, it, again. But it's been a great life experience for me. You know, half the time, people hire others that have been through hell and back because you need somebody like that. Because if you haven't been, you know, why is uh, Trump able to handle it? Because the politics and real estate in New York is pretty ugly enough that he tried to go into Vegas. He had to deal with Wynn. Wynn tried to go to Atlantic City. These are all political things that he's experienced. He saw the stuff that his dad had to go through, Fred. So mm -hmm. that helps. That helps to be able to handle it at yeah, a higher level. He's tough as son. He's, he's tough. He's, yeah, he's tough very tough. SOB that I know. He's a tough guy. Yeah, and I don't think anybody else could handle what's going on right now at mm -hmm. the levels it is right. if it wasn't for him. You have so, to understand why they're so against him, though, right? Because he's a antigen in their environment. He sure. he represents change. They got to kill him metaphorically. Otherwise, there's another billionaire coming in. It could be a left or right leaning billionaire. You think Tom Steyer, Bloomberg? You think Tom Steyer or Bloomberg's gonna have an easier time than Trump? They're gonna try to kill the guy because they, they can't be bought. Let me tell you, what Washington. Does. I don't you think ready? Bloomberg's gonna have a tougher time than Trump. I don't think Bloomberg's oh, going to oh, have a tougher time oh, than Trump. If he, you, you, you think, think he's going to get the nomination? No, I'm not. No, 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 okay, no, 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 nomination, no, not nomination, no. Let me, I'm let saying me, if he sits. Let me tell you something. Okay? Yeah. Here's how they do it. They look at you. They say, bought, can't be bought. Bought, can't be bought. If the swamp thinks you can be bought, they love you. Of course. Because it's not really a swamp. Sure. It's actually a gold-plated hot tub with no drain. Sure. They hand you two bottles of Cristal. They give you the Cubano, and you hang out in the, sw uh, in the swamp with them in the hot tub. 
Right. If they don't think you can be bought, they're coming to kill you. They don't want you anywhere near their game. They want you. They want a guy like me from the White House uh, podium exposing what they're doing to the American people. They don't want that. Let me explain to you how the lobbying circuit works. You want me to explain to you how they uh, curry favor with each other and how the senators are allowed to insider trade inside the Congress and they're feathering themselves at tens of millions of dollars pursuant to the regulations that are tied to the businesses that they're putting their money and their personal accounts on. They don't want all of that exposed. Right. You got to get a guy like me back in New York, man. And by the way, we're going to opposition research you. They wrote a negative article about this poor company H&A from China every single week while I was going through the CFIUS process. When the CFIUS process stopped and the deal broke, they stopped writing the articles. Mm. You think that's a coincidence? No. Give me a break. Oh, okay, come on, come on. So, so, so listen, the American people are going to have to make a decision. Right now, they like the lying. They want their Social Security checks paid on time, the Medicare paid on time. And so they know that the, the country's overburdened by the entitlements and we're outstretched from a military perspective and all these things. So they like the lying. Let's see how long we can perpetuate this thing, right? In the long run, John Cain said we're all dead, so let's keep perpetuating this thing and see what happens. But whoa, 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 you got kids, I got five of them. I don't want that, I don't want the country to be destroyed for those people. We gotta fix it. You can't sit here anymore and say, oh, well, ho, 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 no, fix it. Fix the problem, address the problem. We have no politicians in the country, Patrick, that have a 25-year plan for America. You know anybody? Anybody that you've interviewed that says, here's my 25-year plan on infrastructure, 25-year plan why on education. There's a, there's, a, there's a question. Why? Because why that though? doesn't allow them to stay in power. What right. allows it's them to stay in power now. Our system doesn't allow dis- that. Disaffect the people in the middle. Sit on the fat tails. The right-leaning guys will stay in power. The left-leaning guys will stay in power. And let's butt heads in the middle so that we can appeal to our base. But what you're suggesting means no term limits. That's what you're suggesting. No, I'm, I'm, suggesting some, I'm, su- I'm suggesting something different. I'm suggesting in our national interest, no matter how long you stay in Washington, yes, two presidential terms, a senatorial term, sure, it doesn't matter. We should collectively be focused less on right or left-leaning strategies and more on right or wrong policies. Okay, we, we in our national interest, when you have a crisis in the United States. The left and the right figure out a way to pull together. That's what they did after the Second World War. That's what they did to fight the Cold War. Okay? And so now we're not doing that. We yeah, have but no the media ex- didn't have as much influence as it does today. It's true. It's so we have no today. we have no existential threat. We have a very fragmented media. Yes. You're getting more ratings on your YouTube channel than some of these uh, local television sure. stations. So I don't know what's going to happen, but we have to fix it. Okay. And by the way, these problems are not fixable in a minute, in a news cycle, in a two-hour interview, or a two-year congressional term. But over 25 years, there's not one problem that the United States has that cannot be fixed. Not one. And I, and, and, and I, I agree with that, but I think some of the things systematically has to be changed. So let me, let me ask you this question about media. So you know, a lot of times people say things like, you know, Alex Jones recently was banned from 100 different social media platforms. You can't be on PayPal, you can't be on Patreon, you can't be on Facebook, Twitter, all this stuff permanently mm-hmm. Milo's experience, some Prager's experiencing a little mm-hmm. bit with YouTube, all this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And you keep hearing about it. The shadow you, banning. Yeah, the shadow banning, shadow banning, shadow banning. Mm-hmm. But this is the question. If if media right now, MSNBC left, 
CNN left, Washington Post, LA Times, New York Times. I mean, I can go all mm. around, right? Why aren't some of these guys, the Koch brothers, have all the money in the world? Why don't they get together with a, you know, Rex, who is a former CEO of Exxon, who has access to the right contacts? Why don't they create some kind of a social media platform? Why are they not investing to something That's a good like question. that? question. Maybe at some point they will. I know the... I know the Koch brothers looked at a couple of different media properties to potentially buy, and then they thought they'd have to go through too much FCC craziness. You know what I mean? The, the government, by and large, is left-leaning, and the policies and the sure. bureaucracy is, by and large, left-leaning. And so what's weird about the whole thing is that the universities, very large percentage of the college professors are left-leaning, yet half of the students are right-leaning. So it tells you that brainwashing really doesn't work. You know, the okay. number is... Uh, Washington Times, now Washington Post did an article saying for every one conservative professor, there are 12 liberal yeah. professors. Okay, one so for 12. Yeah, the number so, is so, pretty so staggering. So think about it. So it's 87, 90% that are liberal versus conservative, yet half of the kids are right-leaning and conservative. Yeah. So that tells you something that, you know, you're not going to be able to brainwash people, which is why the left is so scared, right? Because that's why they, they have this whole collective bee swarm, you know? Don't let him on the TV, my God, we can't let him on TV, you know, he's a Trump supporter, please ban him from CNN, his 11 days in the White House, don't allow him to be on CNN, I mean, I've seen all the robots hit me, mm -hmm. and his 11 days of fame, or his 11 minutes of fame are up, and blah, 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 okay, but you have to understand something, my voice is going to be heard whether you like it or not, it's just going to be, okay, sorry, you know, I'm not going to walk into the shame box that you built for me, and to sit in there with a dunce cap. I'm not doing that. I'm going to go out there and explain myself, and I'm going to bring as many people with me to galvanize them. Now, I can't go to my alma mater, as I referenced. Okay? They will not allow me back on campus because I'm a Trump supporter. I had to resign from I the board that. of the Fletcher School. 256 people. No, you know. no problem. I resigned. Yeah. Guys, yeah, I no problem. You don't want voices like mine on your campus. I had a 36-year relationship with the school. Gave them a lot of money. They're saving me millions of dollars. No problem. Okay, University of Chicago, you can go there. They have a free press policy there. But most of these schools don't. So what does that tell you? That you can walk on Berkeley, by the way. They're, they're, wrong about the, they're wrong on the ideas. If they were right on the ideas, why wouldn't they allow a free marketplace of discourse but, on the ideas? But that's the concern, though. The whole concern is the fact right. that there aren't platforms that at the top, they're open to both, right? There are not a lot of platforms that allows somebody to come and, yeah. you know, voice so. their opinions. Like, for instance, I've had Jerry Springer on. I've had, you know, uh, Gloria Allred on. I mean, you know Gloria Allred, who yeah. she is, and you know Jerry oh, Springer. We've also had Alex Jones on, and we've had, you mm -hmm. know, Prager on. Uh, sometimes I just wonder, you know, why from the top some investment. If there's ever been a time to be able to buy a Twitter, to be able to buy, you know, the guy from uh, mm -hmm. Salesforce just bought Time Magazine for $350 million, which is nothing mm -hmm. to be able to buy some of these platforms. Even, I don't even think he paid that much, actually. If you really look through the, the whole the thing. But the point is, think about the, the how return long. return of the deferred comp, I only think he paid $180 million, but, but, you know, Time Magazine, when we were kids, is a different thing than it is today. It's a well-known brand, but it's in a fragmented environment. It's a much smaller pizza slice of what it was. Now, maybe he can innovate. I will tell you that the Washington Post, you got to give Bezos credit. Of course. The Washington Post is in a full-blown renaissance. He's hired great reporters. It's left-leaning, okay? It's not my... I'm not in love with the paper. I'm not in love with the paper's editorial section. But he's doing what you're supposed to But I am impressed doing. with what they're doing, okay? As an objective bystander, I'm impressed. And moreover, I only did one thing of official record in the White House other than uh, a sent to Sarah's uh, 
position as press secretary, I turned the lights and cameras back on. People don't remember this, but Sean Spicer had the lights and cameras off, and he was uh, trying to punish the press, not allowing them on television. Hey, dude, grow up, okay? It's the free press. You just did it and, and, and let me tell you something. Okay? we got to hold there. people in power accountable. That's how it works in a free and democratic society. How do you think Sarah Huckabee Sanders is doing? As well as anybody can do in the toughest job in the universe. Seriously. Okay? That's the toughest job in yeah. the universe. Okay, there's a Martian right now observing the planet saying, well, I'm glad I don't have Sarah's job. <laughs> Jesus, that's a rough yeah. job. Do you think uh, President Trump's going to get reelected? I do. You do? Yeah. And knowing the fact that you're in the financial industry right now, you've been in it for over 30 years, $10 billion under management. What do you foresee taking place? I know March 1st is a big day for tariffs. I know Wednesday federal you know, rates are going to go back up again. Opportunities and crisis. What do you notice? Yeah, you know, what well, do you listen, see? I mean, the market's correcting right now. It's had a very big bull run since his election, but the bull thesis is still intact. If the Fed raises rates, which I predict that they will, they'll start to slow down the rate hikes um, to allow the economy a little bit more room for expansion. And I think you'll get the expansion. The tax cut is going to help. It's going to. It's not a sugar high. There's actually real stimulating things that are happening in the economy, and he's making the economy from a tax-effective basis. He's making the economy way more competitive globally, and so there'll be more flow of global capital into the United States. So all those things are very positive. The reason why I think he's going to get reelected is that the Mueller investigation, no matter what they say about him, will likely not knock him out of office. It will not, in my opinion, it may trigger an impeachment in the House, but it's not going to... Uh, affect a release of office or a re removal from office in the Senate. That's my opinion. If I'm wrong about that, invite me back and I'll eat crow. But I, so I think he's tough enough to stay in the position. And what we know about incumbent presidents, they almost it's almost impossible to knock them out of the game unless there's a steep recession. And we're not going to have that. There's too much cash flowing around. There's too much opportunity. The forces of deregulation that he set foot in the economy are going to still unleash a lot of economic growth. So, so you know, I could be wrong. So you're bullish. If there's something, you're, you're if there's something bullish. incriminating, way worse than what we've now been exposed to, and we've had 19 months of this sort of rigorous investigation, you know, you got to find something. If they find something and they nail him to the wall and he's, quote-unquote, unindicted or sealed indictment or something like that, maybe he gets knocked out of office. But I don't think so. And if that happens, you're seeing a big hit on the market, if that does take place. You would, yeah. okay. You would see a big correction in the market. Last thing, lightning round. I'll give a name, uh, uh, and you tell me the first thing that comes to mind. Okay. okay. Here's lightning round. Okay, Steve Bannon. Ideologically uh, evil. Jim Acosta. Making himself too much of the story, but by and large, a very smart, good journalist. Joe Biden. He fumbles the football when he hits the line of scrimmage. Just look at his debates with John Edwards and Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton and even going back to the Dukakis era 30 years ago. Joe's a very likable buy, but, but very hard to go up against uh, the jiu-jitsu artist of mudslinging, Donald J. Trump. Bloomberg. Formidable adversary. Soros. And very competent. Oh, formidable adversary and yeah. very competent. Yeah, very competent. Yeah. If he wins the nomination, he'll give Trump a hard time. I think so as well. I think so as well. Soros. I think we do this to each other. We dehumanize and demonize people. And he's probably not that, but he's politics are probably not for me. Uh, but I don't dislike him. Okay. Beto O'Rourke. He's got a cool name. He looks like one of the Kennedys. And so he's going to get a ton of free media. Mueller. I think he's a straight up guy. 
Um, we'll see what happens. Call me. Look, I mean, he's not going to let me say that. He just looked too sanctimonious and self-righteous. You know what I mean? You're writing a book called Higher Loyalty. Like, you're, what are you, better than all the rest of us? I mean, come on, give me a break. Okay? I mean, you, you lied to the Congress. You, you leaked something you weren't supposed to leak. You're doing stuff that everyone else is doing, so try not to pretend that you're that righteous and sanctimonious. Mattis. But I don't really dislike Comey either. He's trying to serve the country. Mattis is a uh, very smart, talented guy. Very well read. Kellyanne Conway. She's a friend of mine. I think she's done a very good job. And I think that by and large, she's been unbelievably helpful to the president. Bernard Keurig. A close friend. He's a guy that, uh, you know, I'd like to see pardoned. President Trump. Flawed guy. uh, Very well intended. Uh, If he would just calm down by like 10%, his approval rating would go up 15 Okay, so my recommendation to the president is just calm down, relax. Okay, relax. You made it to the presidency. Calm it down a little. Be a little more strategic with the tweeting. Use that sense of humor that you were famous for at the 21 Club and famous for on The Apprentice and famous for in, a, in places that you and I know that we used to hang out in. Relax. Okay, and you're going to go up 15% on the approval rating. But he's a well-intended guy, and I want to see him do well. Very cool. Well, uh, uh, Valuetainers, you heard it from uh, the one and only Anthony Scaramucci, brother. Pleasure. Really enjoyed having you on Truly, really enjoyed it. Pleasure. God bless. Thank you. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And by the way, if you haven't already subscribed to Valuetainment on iTunes, please do so. Give us a five-star. Write a review if you haven't already. And if you have any questions for me that you may have, you can always find me on Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube. Just search my name, Patrick Bidavid. And I actually do respond back when you snap me or send me a message on Instagram. With that being said, have a great day today. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.